0: Oh um...
1: Welcome to episode 178 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo. In this episode, we're going to begin our run into the uh, back third of season two with episodes 19 and 20. First, we're going to finish up the storyline that was began in last week's episode with Escape to Earth. And then we're going to finish things off with an episode called Superstar. Two uh, very different episodes. One is very space-based and... The other is more of a commentary on fame and fortune and what happens when somebody gains it or loses it and all kinds of weird consequences that happen. But that's for the uh, second half of this episode. But I really want to get into uh, Escape to Earth. So before we get to that, though, there is feedback to address. I have feedback here from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 167. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Black Flamingo was a pretty formulaic plot that was elevated a bit for me by Superboy's disguise. Granted, it wasn't what you might expect for someone undercover, but sometimes undercover means drawing attention to yourself in order to attract people with information, but just not revealing who you really are. Seeing this impress a stranger, someone might want to impress him with their inside knowledge, something they might not do with some bland Clark Kent type, whether or not he was in the guise of Clark. The motorcycle and snake would certainly draw attention, but might not arouse suspicion in the club. Lana and TJ, on the other hand, might quickly be spotted as posers, rather than genuine punk fans. Like you, I'm a sucker for time travel stories, so Hollywood was very enjoyable for me. I liked that Professor Zugar went back to 1938, when Superman first appears in the comics, although obviously not in the universe of this show. I was also pleasantly surprised to know that Gail O'Grady played Victoria Latour. She may be much better known as the girlfriend and later wife of Detective Andy Sipowicz on NYPD Blue, a show I always enjoyed. I was also surprised that Miss Latour was not played by Stacey Heideck, since many time travel shows use the trope that someone the main character meets in the past is a dead ringer for someone in their own time. I guess, in order to preserve the idea that Clark had never heard of the famous actress, it wouldn't have made sense for her to look exactly like Lana. I have to wonder if, once Superboy appeared publicly, Victoria Latour made the connection to her brief friendship with Clark in 1939. I also liked that Superboy made sure that Professor Zugar didn't profit from his real estate scheme. I'm looking forward to hearing your coverage of the final episodes of Season 1, especially Luthor Unleashed. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. And, uh, yes, uh, Dave brings up a good point about uh, part of being undercover sometimes means drawing attention to yourself to attract people with information. And definitely the uh, leather get-up and the fake mullet and the beard do that for Superboy in that episode. The motorcycle definitely draws attention to him. I I did think the Snake was a little much, but the snake did serve a purpose as it seemed to house the tape recorder that Superboy used to record what was happening. So it definitely does have that going for it. And as far as Dave's comments on uh, Hollywood, which, like Dave, I definitely enjoyed. We're both sucker for time travel stories. And uh, he mentioned that Gail O'Grady played uh, Victoria Latour, uh, who is probably better known as the girlfriend and later the wife of Detective Detective Andy of words on nypd blue nypd blue was a show i always knew about because it was always advertised on abc when i was watching lois and clark although i never watched it i was always curious about it but just kind of never not a show that grabbed me enough to watch on, on i believe on a tuesday night when i was a teenager but i was always aware of the show but just never and i knew how acclaimed it was there was always an article in uh some kind of tv book tv guide or the little uh TV listing thing you found in the newspaper always uh, had something on the show, and I read a bit about it, but just one of those things. I never got around to watching it, probably because of the time that it was on. I believe it was on pretty late on a Tuesday night, as I, I believe, maybe ten o'clock. I was awake, but not watching that. Let's just say that. And as for Dave's surprise that Miss Latour was not played by Stacy Heidic, and that is a trope that some shows do use, and I'm glad this show didn't. Just what we would have needed. Wasting a minute of a 22 minute episode of Clark going Lana, and yeah, then before he realizes that isn't her. But don't worry, Dave. Uh, as you saw back in the Microboy episode, this show did use that trope with uh, with Hector when he went back to uh, free the Wright brothers. So don't worry. At some point, this show will leave no trope unused. And if Superboy appeared, if she made the connection to every friendship with Clark in 1939, maybe. She clearly remembered Clark at Schuster University enough to leave the college and endowment when she died. So, at first, I was going to say, well, you know, it was a long time ago and it was only for a day or two. Maybe she didn't remember, but but she doesn't remember Clark enough to leave the college and endowment. So, maybe she makes the connection to Superboy. Maybe she doesn't. Either way, she uh, didn't live very long into his career. So, we'll never know. And yes, I like that Superboy made sure that Professor Dugard didn't profit from his real estate scheme. One of the things I did like about John Haynes Newton's version of Superboy was he played irritated very well during that entire episode he was very irritated with uh professor zugar and you know I that really worked well for me and I mentioned the microboy episode uh before a few minutes ago and this episode plays uh into the microboy episode as uh the uh, situation was resolved with Professor zugar's time machine so lots of connections between Professor zugar and the microboy episode which also saw the uh Stacey heidek playing uh, somebody in the past. So but about all I got on Dave's letter. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. You can expect Dave feedback on Luthor Unleashed next week. So right now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and when I come back, we're going to escape to Earth. Hang around, folks.
2: I'm Captain Benjamin Cisco. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert! Shields up. What she's? You starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh,
0: it's just Garak. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dex, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist.
1: The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a
2: piece of the new frontier. This will sure to become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And one of our most important hosts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here at Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on 2 true
1: All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with Escape to Earth. This is episode 18 of season two. Original broadcast date was February 24th, 1990. This episode was directed by Andre R. Gutfrund, written by Carrie Bates and Mark Jones. Guest cast is George Lazenby as jor Salome Jens as Martha Kent, Stuart Whitman as Jonathan Kent, Britt Eklund as Lara, Frank Tranchina as Slud and Dean J. Parker as the student. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Superboy and the Kryptonian Impostors are on their ship. They take Superboy to an area of the ship where Lana and Andy are being held captive inside a containment cell. When Superboy tries to help them, he too is placed into a cell, and he struggles to free himself. You are our specimen. This can't be happening!
2: <clears throat> but it is, child. <clears throat>
0: You're wasting your effort.
2: No specimen has ever breached a containment cell.
0: Who are you? Well, where? Certainly not from Krypton. Yeah. Our race has the ability to reshape molecular structure. Yeah.
2: And impersonate any species we choose.
0: Why? Why would you trick me into thinking you're my parents? Well, we didn't want to risk a personal confrontation. You see, these suits give us special powers, but there's still no match for yours, Superboy. You both looked so real. It was real, Superboy. We extracted the data from your infant memories.
2: You two are really sick. Space scum. You're like something I scraped off the bottom of my boot. Unusually offensive, these Earthlings. Let's dispense with them now.
0: You may watch while we project your two friends into their earthen habitat. Where they will spawn new offspring. Hmm. Oh, by the way, Superboy. This is the last time you'll see your Earthling friends. No! No!
2: Uh-oh! Superboy! Help us! I won't let you take them!
1: They fill Andy and Lana's cell with gas, and Superboy tries to break out of his. When Superboy begins to break the cell, the aliens change to their true form, Vorak and Mir, and remove Superboy's suit, changing him to Clark. Clark succeeds in breaking the cell. Vorak then fires a laser into Lana and Andy's cell before they can all disappear. They change back into jor and Lana, grab their weapons, and go hunting. Lana and Clark appear on an Earth-like habitat without Andy. Lana sees that Clark is standing there, not Superboy.
3: What are we, super
0: We lost Andy. He's gotta be around here somewhere.
2: All this time, growing up together. You always had powers, didn't you?
0: I'm sorry, Lana. I know this must be a big shock for you, but I never meant you to find out like this. The aliens transformed me into Clark. I can't seem to change back into Superboy.
2: How could you do this to me? Didn't you trust me? We've known each other all our lives. And you didn't trust me.
0: No. No, that's not how it is.
3: That's not for you to say!
2: I don't even know what to call you anymore.
1: Clark tries to use his X ray vision to look around, but it's blocked. He tries to fly, but the invisible ceiling knocks him back to the ground. Lana comes to his side, forgetting that he's invulnerable.
2: Clark, are you okay?
0: Of course I'm alright, Lana. I'm invulnerable, remember?
2: Right. This isn't going to be easy, you know. Sorry. I didn't mean to sound ungrateful. I'm sure giving up your secrets all these years must have been hard to do.
0: It was. But at least I can be myself now. (laughs) Once we get back, I mean, if we get back, do you think maybe we can have a new start?
2: Promise
0: me, no more secrets. No more secrets. But if I'm going to get you and Andy out of here safely, I've got my work cut out for me.
1: As they near a hotel, Clark's super hearing picks up on a heartbeat. When they go inside, they find Andy lying on a bed, dead. Yet Clark still hears a heartbeat. He punches through a wall and pulls out a small man.
3: Let me go, you're too hard. You want to give me a spell and let me go. You killed our friend. Did not, did not. The human male
0: was already expired when I found him. Make me believe you did.
3: How can I
2: make Wait. I think he's telling the truth. Okay. Before we vanished out the ship, I saw Vorok fire a weapon at you. It must have missed. And in am
0: sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you.
3: Jeez, you could have fooled me. You have to forgive my friend. Sometimes he doesn't know his own strength. How about you? You like to strangle people, too? No. My name is Lana, and this is just Clark. Just Clark should learn to control his temper. We've lost someone very close to us. Oh, I'm sorry. My name is Slug. Vorok and Murr. I should have known this needless death was their doing. For what it's worth, I also hate them.
0: Are you a refugee from another habitat?
3: I'm the custodian. It's my job to oversee the maintenance in all the habitats. I'm tracking down an unexplained energy eruption in a teleport system.
0: Well, you found it. You can stop looking.
3: You? You are not an Earthling, just Clark. You're a Kryptonian. Why do you wear Earth garb?
0: Vorok and Murr, they did this to me with their transformation powers.
3: Easily remedied.
0: So
1: how come you're not like Vorok?
3: We're different species from the same planet. My kind has powers
1: they do not possess. Moments later, the aliens find them and warn to kill them unless they surrender. Slud turns their weapons at the miniatures and Superboy knocks them off their feet so they can get away. Slud will take them to the escape route under the condition that they help him escape the ship as well. Superboy agrees. Using his super speed, he pushes an old pickup truck into the location with Lana and Slud inside. When they arrive, the aliens show up.
3: Death will be the price of your freedom, Slud.
2: You think we were not aware of your little secret? We have always known of the dimensional rift.
0: Caution, Superboy. It would be a pity to kill the last survivor of an extinct race. What are you talking about? There is no planet Krypton. It blew up a long time ago. Your
2: real parents are dead, Superboy. Your past is gone. No!
1: Provoked. Superboy pushes them into the truck. The aliens try to run them down with the truck, and then Slud turns it into a toy. Superboy fights the aliens and beats them both. Then Slud uses his power to change them back to their true alien forms. They pass through the portal and get back to the main controls of the ship. There, Slud programs the system to send them back to the times before they were all captured. Are you really sure you'll be able to get those
0: things back in time?
3: I've double-checked the computations a hundred times. I've always wanted to change the day when Vorok and Murr first took me prisoner aboard this ship. I was unarmed, unprepared. This time everything's gonna be different. This time I'm sending myself a weapon and more than enough reason to use it.
0: And this disc will have a recorded message warning you about Vorak and Myr?
3: This was the easy part. Bringing the ships faster than light star drive to send this pod into the past. Calculating the coordinates for its arrival. That wasn't so easy. Now, for the moment of truth. we should know soon
0: if your plan goes as scheduled then Vorak and Mur would never capture you never start their space zoo never come to earth
2: Dandy never died
0: and I'd never know I'm from Krypton or that my parents died
3: if you're destined to know the truth Someday you will. And how will we know if you succeeded? The three of us will just fade away as if we never existed.
0: Lana.
2: No more secrets, remember?
0: Being able to be myself, not having to live a lie has been great, even if just for a few hours.
2: For me too that we should never have had to end.
0: Someday I hope I can tell you the truth. You have no idea how much I'd like you to know.
1: I love you. I love you. Back in Smallville, the scene goes back to Clark's birthday. I want a big piece.
3: Uh-huh. Aha. Yeah, hello. Oh hi, honey. It's Lana. Oh, she's at Chuster, and Andy's with her. Great. They both want to talk to you. All right, hold on. Hi, guys.
2: Happy birthday, Clark <laughs> Happy birthday, Clark. Love you. Hi,
3: oh, Hannah. me too. Man. <laughs> it's chocolate. Clark doesn't like chocolate. Oh, me. of course he does.
1: All right. So, two parters end in one of two ways. At least the first part does. It ends with a cliffhanger where you're basically scratching your head saying, oh, how the hell are they going to get out of this one? Or it leaves you with kind of an ending, but it's clear that there's more story to be told. Revenge of the Alien Part 1 and 2 was like that, where, yeah, Superboy was down, he was hurt a little bit, but, you know, he was okay, and it wasn't as much of a cliffhanger. It was clear that that part of the, of the show ended, and then you just kind of waited to see how the situation was going to be resolved. It's kind of interesting because this, Part 1 was a little bit of both of those, where Abandoned Earth was all about Superboy meeting his parents and leaving Earth. That phase of the story was done, but there was a bit of a cliffhanger in the sense that you knew he was in trouble, you knew Lana and Andy were in trouble, and how was everybody going to get back? So, it wasn't a hard cliffhanger, it's like something like, say, the best of both worlds from Star Trek The Next Generation, where it's uh, Mr. Warfire, and then and see you again in three months, so... After the recap, we start with the uh, teleportation tubes going to a spherical ship in space. And honestly, these teleportation tubes kind of remind me of the Justice League teleportation tubes. I don't know why I didn't think of that before. Maybe because I just read in a couple of issues of Justice League America, the Baha issues uh, a few days ago. Maybe that's why I made the connection now as opposed to before. So, um, Jor-El and Lara have a surprise, and it's Andy and Lana imprisoned. Jor-El says it's Superboy's worst nightmare, and... Uh, Superboy is imprisoned as well. And this is where Superboy learns that jor and Lara are completely full of crap. They are not jor and Lara. They have the ability to change the molecular structure of objects. They can change shapes. Their suits uh, give them powers. And granted, they can't emit any power like Superboy's level, but they've got enough to keep up. And they got the shapes of jor and Lara from Superboy's memories. So apparently, there's some kind of hidden unconscious memory that Superboy has of jor and Lara. So, while Superboy has never met jor and Lara, at least in his own memory, he now knows what they look like, at the very least. At least for now, the res- Resolution of the Story wipes it all out, so this thing never happens. But So, basically, they're zookeepers, and they're sending Lana and Andy into the Earth's habitat. Superboy, because he's not cooperating, is imprisoned in his own cell, and he's breaching it. And when they change shape from uh Joel and Lara, they're kind of in these shiny jumpsuits with a little vest over it, very monochrome. It's like a I don't want to say it's a brown, it's like a shiny gray, and their faces covered. So even uh in their true form, Superboy can't see their faces. He makes a comment on it, but they said something to the fact that he can't handle their true forms or something like that. And it's just a good way for the show to save some money and not making them uh put makeup on these aliens. So <laughs> in an attempt to uh Get Superboy to stop beating on the cell, they change him into Clark Kent, and Vorak postulates that he was conditioned by the Kents to never use his abilities while as Clark. I don't think it works that way. He he does use abilities as Clark. He uses a lot of uh, x-ray vision, and t- sometimes he vision as Clark, but he is careful when uh, to not reveal his identity. I mean, if he's going to fly to Smallville, he's going to do it in a Superboy costume. He's not going to do it as Clark, just to be careful. But I like what happened. As soon as uh, Vorak says that, Clark breaks through the cell and the glass shatters. And he is sent to the Earth Habitat with uh, Andy and Lana. So Lana and Clark materialize in this field. You know, but maybe about 20, 30 feet away from each other. Maybe a little bit more. So all of a sudden, Lana sees Clark standing there and she makes the leap. I mean, maybe, I don't know, I'm thinking about it. Is it possible Clark could have played it off that he wasn't Superboy here? I mean, they could have just said that Clark was sent into the habitat earlier, maybe. I don't know. Maybe Lana would have bought it. Maybe she wouldn't have. But Clark basically plays it straight with Lana. And I guess since they're not sure if they're returning to Earth, there's no reason to hide it from Lana any longer. So now she knows the truth. And he didn't mean for her to find out like this. And uh, she's upset. Before Lana goes on her tirade, uh, Clark is going to change into Superboy. But apparently when Vorak and Mir changed him into Clark, they took away his costume because there's nothing but a bear Gerard Christopher chest underneath there. He's not going to do the thing that Jim Calvert did in Stand Up and Get Knocked Down where he did a shirt rip and exposed a bear chest. Not happening here. So Lana is upset that Clark never told her and uh, you know she kind of goes on, why didn't you trust me? We've known each other all our lives. Clark just kind of says that's not how he was but he doesn't really give much of an explanation and Lana who's still kind of, you know, running at the mouth in shock a little bit, says she doesn't know what to call him, and that kind of echoes what Lois says to Clark at the end of Superman 2, which uh, led up to a super kiss. And remember, uh, I don't read the synopses before watching the episode, so not having seen this episode before, I was kind of wondering and praying that a super kiss didn't show up in this episode because I knew Lana didn't know the truth going forward. But fortunately, it does not. So Clark tries to see out of the habitat, and he can't. He tried to fly, and he kind (laughs) of... bounced off the edge of the i don't know if it's a dome or what but he bounces off and hits the ground so after he fell to the ground uh lana kind of runs off to him i guess forgetting for a minute that he is Superboy. she she, all she sees is clark on the ground and uh after you know helping him up off the fake grass or whatever it is she's feeling a little bit more sympathetic about him having to uh, had to carry the secret by himself for all that time so her coming around to being a little more understanding is a little quick but you know This is not a long episode, so some things have to move. And Clark is relieved that he can be himself around Lana, which is all he ever wanted. And he and Lana talk for a moment, and uh, he asks Lana if they can have a fresh start, you know, if, when, and if they get home. And, you know, Lana's not going to let him off the hook that easily. She doesn't want there to be any more secrets. He agrees. And now they have to get out of there. And uh, Clark calls it a Habitat. And Lana is disgusted. And just the way she says that, what, it's one big zoo? She is just so indignant that it's almost amazing that she never, that never dawned on her before. I, I'm i pretty sure she heard Vorak and Mir say they were sending them to an Earth habitat. But I don't know. Maybe she didn't. So, Clark's senses show that they're not alone, and at some point the aliens are going to show up for their hunt. I didn't mention it in the notes here, but Right after Lana, Superboy, and Andy disappeared, Vorak and Mir left the control room there with some big hunting equipment. So they find this facsimile of a hotel, and they find Andy lying on a bed. And Andy is dead, and this is not a hoax. This is not an imaginary story. Andrew McAllister is D-E-A-D, dead. And at first, I thought that was a plot and driving so Andy doesn't have to find out that Clark is Superboy, but the ending of the episode kind of makes that moot, so I guess they just wanted to pull a red herring on us and make us think Andy was dead for a few minutes. How disappointing at the end when he turns out to be alive. But Clark does hear a heartbeat, and clearly it's not Andy's. He's uh, laying there waiting for Rigor Mortis to set in, and uh, Clark just kind of goes through the wall and pulls what I, at first what I thought was one of his zookeepers through the wall. And uh, Clark is pissed, and he uh, accuses this new guy of uh, killing Andy. And this alien, whose name we're going to find out is Slud, says he found an alien like that. lying on the bed? Lana is thinking a little more clearly than Clark. And that's understandable, because really when you think about it, the past, however much time these two episodes elapsed over, a couple days maybe, Clark's head has got to be spinning between meeting what he thought were his parents, learning about Krypton, again, stuff that's all true, except for the fact that he was abducted, which is what they told him, you know. At this point, I think Clark is basically tired of being manipulated. So, Lana is a little more level-headed at this point. And uh, she just points out that Vorak must have missed when they shot the beam with Superboy and hit Andy instead. I guess that's as good an explanation as any. So Slut is uh, basically the uh, the janitor, and he hates uh, Vorak and Mir, and he has transformation powers as well, and he transforms Clark back into Superboy. And he says that he's from a different species as Vorak and Mare, but from the same planet. So there has been some science fiction that has discussed that where there's kind of parallel evolution on a planet, two sentient races. Battle on five did that a number of times. The uh, third episode of the series, in fact, Born to the Purple, revealed to us that the uh, one of the major races in the show, the Centauri, evolved alongside uh another species called Xan that they killed and you know, to gain supremacy. And then, then there's another species in discussed in season five so it's not out of the realm of possibility at least in science fiction and i do even believe on our own planet if i'm not wrong that humans and neanderthals were kind of different branches of human that were kind of evolving side by side until the neanderthals either died out or evolved i think i'm right about that but i could be wrong well anyway Vorak and mir show up Slud helps superboy and lana by shrinking the alien's weapons at this point I'm not sure why they need to be dressed as uh Jor-El and uh Lara anymore, other than the fact that they have George Lazenby and Britt Eklund on the contract and they want to show them off <laughs> as much as they can. That is really the only reason I can think of. The jig is up, there's no reason to keep uh up with the disguise. So obviously Slut is taking Superboy and Lana's side, and uh there's this super breath trick, which is a little hokey. In order to kind of push them away, he Superboy blows at them with a super breath, you know, generating a wind and Basically, at this point, you just see Lazenby and Eklund, or their stunt doubles, just kind of throw themselves on the floor. And now this is where they drop the bombshell on Superboy, that while they are replicas of jor and Lara, he is the last Kryptonian, and his world was destroyed. Hell of a way to find that out. And Superboy does not take it very well. He is pissed. And now we're getting the fight. And he orders Lana and Slud through the rift, but apparently uh, not thinking they need him to protect them for some reason, because it's... I guess maybe their bodies can't handle the uh, dimensional rift without him to protect them. I don't know. Whatever it is, they need him. So, Slud is continuing to uh, show how helpful he is by using his abilities to transform Vorrak and Mir back into themselves. And when the fight is over, they are going to go through the rift. And this is where we're going to have our time travel screwery. Slud is going to send himself weapons into the past and the recording to tell him what's going to happen. He is going to save himself from being captured by Vorak and Mir, and they won't create their space zoo, and they won't ever come to Earth. And basically, we're going to find out that if this plan succeeds, none of this will ever have happened. Superboy will lose his knowledge of Krypton, and Lana will lose her knowledge of Clark being Superboy. Well, you really can't say they've, they're have they going to lose these things because the time is going to change. So. They'll never gain it, but they profess their love and kiss and fade from existence. And now we're back at uh, Clark's birthday dinner with his parents, and Lana called Ken Farm with Andy, and they wish Clark a happy birthday. And these last two episodes didn't happen. That was a good episode. It was a pretty good two parter, but I really hate when shows use time travel to preserve the status quo. I mean, I really felt for Superboy, who was not going to know that he was from Krypton. I mean, I guess he won't miss not knowing what he never knew. But I will say this, this show does the trick better than Lois and Clark will. As much as I love the Tempest Fugitive episode from the second season, I don't like the way time travel was used at the end, and I will get to that when I get to that episode. So I don't want to blow my thoughts on that now. I just better make damn sure I remember to talk about it when I get to that episode. But this, I mean, even this is problematic, but uh because this causes a paradox because since Slud stops Foreck and Mirror in the past, they won't stop their start their space zoo. But if they don't start their space zoo, how does the weapon get into the past, etc., etc., etc.? I need to learn to let go of these things. As Dave McIlvenie will remind me, time travel isn't real and it works. However, the writers want it to work. So this was a great episode and a great conclusion, even though it was erased, and it was nice to see a version of Superboy and Lana getting a chance to express their true feelings for each other, even though these particular versions will not go forward. All right. So now I'm going to take another break, play another promo. When I come back, we're going to finish this episode off with Superstar. Hang around, folks. Batman Nightcast is back with new episodes and a new mission. I'm Ryan Daly. And I'm Chris Franklin. The new Nightcast chronicles the Dark Knight Detective's greatest adventures from our favorite comic book creators.
0: What a novel approach, talking about the comics we actually enjoy. I know, right?
1: Highlights from this bold new era of Batman Nightcast include... The Joker's Laughing Fish. The Saga of Rachel al Ghul. Is that how we're pronouncing it? Yes. Okay. Batman vs. the Man Bat. And the first appearance of villains like Clayface 3 and the Ventriloquist. Plus, more great stories by the likes of Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Alan Grant and Norm frickin' Brayfogle. Irv Novick. Don Newton. Doug Munch. Dick Sprang. Max Allen Collins. No, what? Just messing with you. Wasn't funny. Batman Nightcast, every month from the Fire & Water Podcast Network.
0: Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at
1: fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with Superstar. This is episode 20 of season two. Original broadcast date was March 3rd, 1990. Directed by Kenneth Bowser and written by T. Gilmore. Guest cast included Amy Delenz as Jessica James, Kimberly Bronson as Venus Smith, Kevin Quigley as Tucker. This is the first of Kevin Quigley's three appearances on the show, all as different characters. Deborah DeFrancisco as Tiffany, I'm guessing that's Andy's date, Joe Candelora as the maitre d', Bradford Dunaway as the security guard, Steve Lackshaw as the engineer, and Wendy Klassen as the rock groupie. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. A singer named Jessica James wraps up her performance at her concert and then goes backstage. Backstage, Clark, Lana, and Andy and his date are trying to get in.
2: Hi, she's expecting us, so we'll just... You're a little late. Those are last year's passes. What? <laughs> what? I paid pay top dollar for these. Yeah, you know, I don't believe you, Andy McAllister. This makes you a big zero on my book. <sighs> okay, all right. I lost a couple points. But a zero? Come on, me? Seriously. I think she was serious.
0: <laughs> Excuse me, I'm Clark Kent. Oh. With the Herald? You can go in, but I'm afraid your friends will have to wait at the main door. Well, I guess I'll catch up with you guys later. Yeah, right. Okay. Go ahead, schmooze with the
2: Superstar. We'll just um, stay out here with the little people, okay?
1: As the singer and security walk toward Clark, he sees a car start, but there isn't a driver. He quickly changes to Superboy as the car approaches. Superboy arrives and stops it. The singer takes him into her limo, and they leave. They arrive at her hotel, and where they talk inside at a restaurant.
2: Ah, oh, perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Superboy. Oh, Andre, some of that champagne from last night, please. Oh,
0: immediately, Miss James. Immediately.
2: Have you ever noticed how the little people like to accommodate the rich and famous? It makes them feel important.
0: I think everyone should be treated the same. <laughs>
2: are serious, aren't you?
0: I think you're kind of young to have such an attitude about people. You come across a little jaded to be 21.
2: Uh... Honesty's a snap for you, isn't it? It's not so easy for the rest of us. They're in there, aren't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just like you said.
2: Look at her. She can't close to death tonight, the terror should still be on her face. It's him, penis. She feels safe because she's with him. No one can save Jessica James. Not even Superboy.
0: Why is it I don't believe your life is one big party?
2: Beautiful and smart, huh? Well, you're right. Everywhere I go, everybody wants a piece of Jessica James. But you know what? Nobody really knows the real me. I can't let anybody get too close. It's not easy being two different people.
0: You and I have more in common than you think.
2: Maybe so. Cheers to us, superstars too much. Haven't you heard? It's lonely at the top.
1: Later, Superboy takes Jessica to her room since she had too much to drink. Jessica kisses Superboy as he takes her inside. After putting her on her bed, she begs him to stay.
2: (sighs) Don't go. I still haven't thanked you for saving my life.
0: I'll tell you what. I have a friend named Clark Kent down at the Herald. What do you say you give him an interview and we'll call it even?
2: If that's what you want. But promise me you will come to the concert tomorrow night, okay?
0: I promise. But now I really do have to
2: go. No, don't go. Why? Don't you find me attractive?
0: Of course I do.
2: Well, then come and lay down with me.
0: You really have to sleep.
2: Just stay until I fall asleep. Just stay until I fall asleep.
0: I'm the one with all the powers. Why
1: don't I know how to help you? At the dorm, the gang talks about Superboy's level of involvement with Jessica. It's a reading story in the Daily Planet.
2: Jesse James is a superstar. And underneath that cape, Superboy is just a normal guy. Andy, I think I know Superboy a little bit better than you do. The girl's not his type. I mean, somebody tried killing her last night and Superboy was there.
0: Protecting her. Protecting her? Right. Hi, guys. Hey,
2: Clarkster. You hear about soupy's new squeeze? What? Come on, man. Read the paper.
0: And guess who is seen
2: carrying Jessica James to her hotel room last night?
0: I have a feeling it's not the way it looks.
2: That's what I was trying to tell him. Superboy has better things to do than get involved with someone like Jessica James, right? Maybe, but I say Superboy and Jessica James did the nasty.
0: Hello? This Clark can No problem. That would be just swell! Swell? Gotta go, guys. Guess who's got an in-depth interview with? Jessica James.
1: He goes down to the studio to meet her. A woman sings as he enters. She's Venus, the woman in the wheelchair. When Clark introduces himself, she introduces herself as Jessica James, revealing her scarred face. She's actually joking. She's really Venus Smith. Venus Smith. It's really you.
2: In the flash <laughs> What there is
0: of it. But you died in that plane crash with your whole group five years ago.
2: You are old enough to remember that
0: I was the queen of rock and roll.
2: My fans worshipped me.
0: But that was before the crash. Better we decided for everyone if Venus was
2: dead. But her voice, her music have lived on. She was just a second-rate dancer in Las Vegas when Tucker found her. More than willing to pay any price to become a superstar. Even if it meant living a lie 24 hours a day. Jessica is what the public sees. But it's always Venus that they hear. We've altered my voice slightly project a bit deeper, more from the diaphragm. And I, I, you look perplexed, Mr. Kent.
0: Why are you telling me all this? We're going public. Somebody has to write Venus
2: a story. You're a reporter, aren't you? You and your friends come to the concert
0: tonight. Why me? There are lots of reporters around.
1: You'll tell Superboy.
2: We checked you out, Kent. Word is, you know how to reach him. You and Superboy are tight.
3: Now get out of here, Kent. Gotta tell Superboy
2: the truth about the little tramp. (laughs) I want him to know. Know how common she really is. You are sure no one saw you working on the lasers?
1: I was very careful, Venus. Good. The next night, Superboy talked with Jessica in her dressing room.
2: What is all that racket out there? May I come in? Yeah, uh, Marcia, take five. Hey, (laughs) Flyboy. I, uh... I never did get a chance to thank you for last night.
0: You've been drinking.
2: Yeah, I've been doing a lot of thinking. About what? (sighs) My whole life, I've been looking over fences, trying to find greener grass. All I find is more and more fences. This is going to sound silly. I know the time that we've spent together wasn't that much, but it was enough.
0: Jessica, you don't realize what you're saying.
2: I think I could fall in love with you. And I want you to see a part of me that I didn't even know existed anymore.
0: I don't want you to have to show me anything. I just want you to be happy and to live the life you want to live.
2: I'm going to undo something that should have been undone a long time ago. Tonight, the world is going to hear Jessica James sing. The real Jessica James.
0: What are you saying? The truth.
2: It's a long story, Superboy. And once you hear it, I don't think you're going to feel the same about me.
0: You're probably right. I have a hunch I'm going to be very proud of you.
1: Later, Lana, Clark, and Andy with his date take their seats at the concert. When Jessica performs, she sings one of Venus's songs, while Venus and her manager watch from the balcony. Venus is furious about what Jessica is doing. Her manager fires the laser at some stage lights. As they loosen, Clark uses the crowd as cover to change the Superboy. He catches the lights as they snap and fall. With his back turned, Venus fires the laser directly at Jessica, and she falls to the stage. The police apprehend Venus and her manager. Meanwhile, the crowd begins to chant Jessica's name and support. Don't move, you'll be all right.
2: Liar. It's over. She stole my song, and, I, and it was my song. <laughs> yeah. They heard me, didn't they? They know the truth.
0: They know. And they still love you. Listen.
2: And what about you, Superboy? Did you ever love me?
0: I still do.
1: This episode is interesting, but it is an absolute unadulterated mess. I don't know why anybody is doing what they're doing. I'm not sure what Jessica is or how she came to be what she is. Why Venus is so pissed after faking her own death. This is one of those episodes where people are doing things because the plot requires them to do do them. But we have no idea why. Justifications are not explained. They don't even really give you enough to make an educated guess. And does the mind take you someplace because you're automatically trying to fill in the blanks? Let me get into this, and I'll kind of explain what, I'm, what I am what I'm mean. Because the one thing that is clear is that Jessica always wanted fame, and she found a way to get it. But it's unclear whether Venus had any role in her getting this fame. So we start off with Jessica James in concert. She basically looks like an 80s leftover. Music's not so bad if you like this sort of thing. And, you know, I do. It's really not a venue that I can picture Clark and his friends at, but that is what it is. She's uh, taking a bow, and, uh, you know, it's very clear that she is uh, popular with the college crowd. So here is uh, Clark and Lana with Andy and his date, and Andy is trying to get them backstage with last year's passes. And Andy is trying to talk his way out of this, but uh, his date is not having it, and D uh, went from hero to zero in two seconds. Now, Clark is doing this interesting dance to get out of his jacket to get his press pass. You know, he's kind of... Try, almost as if he's trying to take his jacket off the press pass is in his inside pocket why he can't just reach into his inside pocket and pull it out i don't know why he needs to go through all these contortions that he's going through is it supposed to be funny if it is it's not so clark gets in and my first question is how did none of them know it was last year's pass doesn't it have a year on it or something that says this pass expires on december 31st 1989 or something like that means this is 1990 they won't be able to get in No sense. That should have been pretty easy for them to suss out. You know, I'm just going to move on because, you know, it just makes no sense how they wouldn't know it was last year's pass. So now Clark is still fiddling with his jacket here when he sees an automated car taking off after Jessica. So there is some uh, freeze breath and uh, the car is basically stuck in a pack of ice. So, unlike Superboy whisking Jessica away from the danger, she kind of whisks him away, rescuing him from the media hounds and the autograph seekers. So, Jessica is famous and her opinion of fame is everybody wants something from you, which I guess the richer and successful you can become, that definitely could happen. You have those who want to use you for their own personal gain. So she doesn't know how to think beyond that. Maybe this was an act by Superboy to get alone, get some alone time with her. But, you know, she's taking advantage of it. She's making a night of it. And Superboy seems to be enjoying it. It's very rare that he gets to enjoy himself in costume, you know? I just seem to have this feeling that as I'm watching this, this is going to end up on the cover of a tabloid somewhere. And Lana is going to be very unhappy. Lana's reaction to this is kind of surprising to me. So they're both signing autographs. They go into the hotel. I'm not sure which side of the fans are getting the better of this deal. Basically what happens is there's fans on either side of uh, the rope. And uh, as Superboy and Jessica walk into the hotel, she takes the right and he goes left. And they sign autographs on their way to the door. And then they go into uh, this restaurant to uh, to go eat. Seeing Superboy in a restaurant is unusual, and but that is what it is. So this is when it becomes clear that Jessica's and Superboy's views are very different. As someone who's gained fame and celebrity, she feels superior to the "quote unquote" little people. While Superboy wants everyone to be treated equally, she is enjoying her fame at the expense of others. I don't necessarily want to say people below her, but it is clear that she's uh, left a few figurative bodies in her wake. She's kicked some people down as as she climbed the ladder. So it is possible that she has done something like this to Venus Smith. So now we get this, you see this woman in a wheelchair with a scarred face looking at the restaurant angrily, and she's uh, with some other guy there after Jessica. At this point, we don't know why. We're going to eventually find out this is Venus Smith and her manager Tucker. So Jessica does realize that everyone wants a piece of her, and possible that fame is not everything it was cracked up to be for her you know not able to do everything that she wants because of her celebrity this is something superboy can do because of his life as clark in which he portrays a big nerd so there are clearly uh differences between the two jessica is lonely at the top and she even says it in those exact words lonely at the top i don't know what she's at the top of but apparently fame has made her lonely cut her off from Anybody who may or may not care about her. And Superboy is taking a clearly uh, drunk Jessica to her room. And he actually pointed out that she's had too much to drink. If this were Lois and Clark, this would have been a huge scandal. We're just waiting for the tablet article to show about Superboy taking a drunk Jessica James into her room. We know that from his perception, this is innocent enough. And then she asks him how to repay him. And uh, Superboy says that she can repay him by giving Clark Kent an interview. And she's still trying to lure Superboy into bed, but he's not biting. And uh, she wants him to stay until she falls asleep. Fortunately for him, she falls asleep very quickly. And he laments that despite all of his powers, he doesn't know how to help her. This is not something his superpowers can help with. There is no superpower that can help combat loneliness. Although maybe if she had a better attitude, she'd be a little bit less lonely. She has a bit of an ugly personality. And that's maybe built up to protect herself from being taken advantage of. Maybe that ugly personality helped her climb to the top. Again, we know nothing about her. We don't know anything. We're just moving through this story and not giving enough information on either of the characters to understand their actions properly. So, Jessica goes, I can see both sides. So, meanwhile, the next day at the dorm, Lana is reading the Daily Planet, of all things, and Andy is drawing on his Superboy post. I'm not sure what he's drawing, but he looks like he's drawing horns and a Captain Morgan beard. I thought Superboy's exploits from the night before would be in, like, some kind of tabloid rag, not the planet, but, you know, there it is. I guess the show wanted to uh, name drop the, the Daily Planet. So Andy is speculating that Jessica James and Superboy had sex last night. But we know that didn't happen. Lana is indicating she doesn't believe that happened. And uh, Clark gets the phone call that we think is from Jessica James inviting him to an interview. Clark excitedly says swell. And Lana laughs at it kind of uh, invoking Superman in the movie. So Clark goes to the recording studio. And we see what we think is our paralyzed villainous. Recording some music. And uh, before the show goes to commercial, we uh, find out that our paralyzed villain is Jessica James. That's what she says. And then I guess our viewers uh, back in 1990 kind of had the entire commercial break to kind of go, huh? I didn't. I only had uh, however long it took to fade out and fade back in watching on the DC Universe app. So we learned that her name is Venus Smith, who everyone thought was killed in a plane crash five years ago. I guess she was the queen of rock and roll and at the height of her powers at that time. And they decided to fake Venus's death in a plane crash. Why? Is it because she's paralyzed and uh, can't uh, perform and uh, gyrate on stage uh, like she did beforehand? And now where does Jessica come in? So apparently Jessica is singing with a microphone that alters her voice to sound like Venus. So it's unclear how these two are connected. You know, did Venus choose Jessica to be uh, our front for her? Did Did Jessica come upon this microphone that makes her sound like Venus Smith all by herself? How did we get to this point? And there is no answer to that. Venus is mad at Jessica for sounding like her. And Jessica seems to indicate later on that she's done something. But what? There are details left out of this. So now all of a sudden, five years later... Venus is going public with the truth. Why now? Why declare yourself dead at all? Why fake your death? Why? And how long has Jessica been around performing before Venus decided she was angry at her? So this is when it's quite clear that Jessica did not call Clark for the interview. This, it was Venus. So, they're going public and actually trying to to kill Jessica. I, I think this whole thing was really a lure on Venus and Tucker's part to kind of lure Superboy into Witness. Jessica's death or something? Why? Why, 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 why? So, Superboy then shows up to see Jessica before she goes on. She's going to tell Superboy a story. And she's falling in love with Superboy, and she wants to show him a part of her that she's never showed anyone. She doesn't even show us. We have no idea what she's going to do. My guess is she's going to come out with the truth and sing as the real Jessica James. She's concerned Superboy will feel differently when she hears the truth. And Superboy has a hunch that he'll be even more proud. So, meanwhile, Clark, Andy, Andy's date, who's uh, happier with Andy now because he's got good seats. than she was at the beginning of the episode. So, so now, Jessica is coming on stage and she's going to sing a Venus Smith song as herself. Apparently, the microphone she normally used projected Venus's voice and not her own. Tucker seemed upset that she was not using the Venus microphone did he they have some kind of vested interest in her using the venus microphone was it gonna blow up or something or and i have, also have a very big feeling venus didn't tell clark the whole story venus is upset that she's singing her song but you know what jessica did say it was a venus smith song this kind of thing is done in concert all the time and it is completely unclear if jessica knows venus is alive or dead but the so venus's manager was supposed to uh tamper with a laser and at first, I thought it was going to happen during the concert, but nobody waited he, after the, the song was done. He knocks down a light fixture to uh, prevent whatever announcement Jessica was going to make. Superboy caught the light fixture, and then Venus zapped Jessica with the laser, and uh, she's dead. Venus is complaining that Jessica stole her song, but she didn't. It's a cover. It happens. So Jessica's going to die, and Superboy says he loves her. I am not sure what to make of this episode at all. I mean, did Venus put up Jessica as a front? Was this her and her manager's decision? How did Jessica get her fame? Uh, Venus points out that she was a Las Vegas dancer with a little talent. How did she get to this point? Did Venus help her? There's so much we don't know. And the backstory we get is full of holes. We never find out what Jessica was going to say. And does Superboy know? Clark seems to indicate that he does. It just feels like this episode doesn't leave you with Enough information to understand why everyone is doing what they're doing. They're just moving through the story because the plot needs them to move through the story. The only thing we do know is that her night with Superboy gave Jessica a change of heart, but nothing else, and that's really what knocks this episode down for me. It could have been so good, but it just leaves far too much on the table. I'm not sure there was enough here for two parts, but there was too much here for 22 minutes. And to be quite frank, this episode has exhausted me. I'm glad this was the second episode and I can wrap this up now. So, next time, Gilbert Godfrey will make his debut in the show as in Knickknack and then The Haunting of Andy McAllister. Until then, if you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manuscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Man Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man Screencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you leave me your review over on Apple Podcasts? That'll help uh, raise the show's visibility. So, till next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted to their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.22freaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen podcast.